Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Folks, I am so excited to have with me evil HR lady, Suzanne Lucas. She spent 10 years in corporate HR, where she hired, fired, managed the numbers, and double-checked things with the lawyers. She left that world to focus on helping other people and companies to be the best she could be. Suzanne is recognized as one of the top influencers in human resources. And you can find her writings and advice all over the internet with her archives at Evil HR Lady. She also coaches job seekers on creating great resumes and helping them to get their careers on track. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited. I've followed your um, your writings on, I think, Inc.com, Evil HR Lady, and I'm sure many other places at this point. Just about everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did, so I always thought of you as a journalist. Um, how did you sort of pivot into, tell me about how you, how you got to HR and how you pivoted into the world of journalism and now what you're doing now with helping people to, you know, rewrite their resumes and help them with their job search strategy. So how I got into HR, um, I actually have a master's degree in political science and I was in a PhD program and I hated it. (laughs) Um, it. It was not the right place for me. And so I left after I got my master's degree. And then here I am with a master's degree in political science. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a help wanted political scientist needed sign, you know? No, you're right. I, I, yeah. I, uh, same with why well, I was journalism, but sociology major was my other major. Yeah. Not, not a hot commodity there. <laughs> no. And so I was like, okay, I got to get a job. Now what do I do? And so I realized that the reason why I was in the PhD program is, is I wanted to be a university professor because I love teaching. Um, and and so I was like, well, well, I love teaching adults. Let me be clear. You don't want me you teaching don't want to teach your kindergartners. <laughs> That's not, not yeah. what anybody wants or needs. I'd be like, go away, kids. <laughs> Mrs. Lucas <Yeah>. is busy. <laughs> but... Um, So I thought, well, where can I teach adults? Where is the training function? And then I realized that was in um, human resources. So I actually went to a temp agency and I said, I want to get, I will do anything in a human resources department. And so they placed me as an admin covering a maternity leave in... A, an HR department and I did that for three months and then I moved to a different HR department covering a different maternity leave. And so after that six months, I knew somewhat of the language of HR and I applied for a job for Wegmans. And um, for those of you that know Wegmans, it's the world's best grocery store. It, it, and they just they, opened one where my oldest goes to college. It is really extraordinary. Oh, it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary company. Everything about it is extraordinary. (laughs) And um, so I applied for a job there in their HR department as their first HR analytics person. 
their very first. And your poli-sci analytics sort of could. Exactly. So I, I learned statistics in graduate school and my boss said to me, you are completely unqualified for this job, but you are the only applicant that could do statistics. So <laughs> there you go. There's accommodation. <laughs> and that's how I got into HR. And I was so lucky because Wegmans, um, they're always in the top 10 of the best companies to work for, um, the fortune list. And that's not cheating on their part. They really are good to work for. So I was trained in HR from the ground up by the world's best HR team. So um, turns out those statistics classes that I hated (laughs) paid off. Paid off, right? Yes. So then the second part of your question is how then I how did I then pivot to journalism? Yeah, and sharing all of this career advice that you'd learned or yeah, hiring so advice. I've always loved writing. And I was actually a creative writing minor. See, this is why I really couldn't get a job when I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> Master's degree in political science, bachelor's degree in political science with a minor in creative writing. Yeah, it's just not the Best but, marketable. But it all comes around, right? You just gotta find that right fit. Right. So uh blogs were starting to be this new thing. And I was like, I've always wanted to be an advice columnist. And like a know, Dear like Abby, Dear Abby and, or Ann Landers. Ann Landers or the true mm-hmm. genius of advice, Miss Manners. Her, yeah. Um and with the blogs, I realized that nobody could stop me, right? Like I didn't need to get a job to do it. So I just started a blog and it grew and I got recognized and um, CBS News reached out to me and asked if I would start writing for them. And that's how I moved into journalism. How did you become evil HR lady? How did that terminology come about? Well, that was with the blog because I was working for a very conservative pharmaceutical company and I knew that there were people in the company that would not like it one bit. And so I knew I needed to write under a pseudonym and, um, I, this was my best marketing decision ever. And I didn't think too much about it, but when people think of HR, they always have a negative attitudes toward it, negative yeah. attitude toward it. And so, um, because HR is at the front of, of the hardest times of people's lives, right? It's when they lose their jobs, when they're in trouble. Exactly. If your boss calls you into her office and you walk in and there's an HR person sitting there, you know that conversation is no, not, it's not for your boss. award and your promotion, right? Right. So I chose that moniker for my blog um, way back in 2006 and when I needed to be anonymous. And then I've kept with it. Like I said, it was a great marketing move because yeah. you're not going to necessarily remember Suzanne Lucas. Um, but you're going to remember Evil HR Lady. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, I, yeah, I discovered your blog. It's been many, many years ago, but I just a huge fan. Um, so now, I mean, given your your work at Wegmans and through your writings and people that write into you, um, 
Are there sort of a few common challenges that you see facing people testing the job search waters right now, or, or maybe those trying to make a, a career change like like you made? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely common challenges, and one of the big ones um, that I see a lot in my career coaching is that everybody thinks everybody else is better than they are. Um, that lack of confidence. It's a serious lack of confidence, and um, you know, I was I was coaching a woman last night actually, and I looked at her resume, and it had this massive project that she had done. I can't even tell you the scale of it. And I said, look at this. This is huge project management, but you never use the word project management. She's like, I don't have a project management certification. And I said, but can you do project management? And she's like, well, yeah, I'm good at it, but I don't have the certification. And I'm like, let's put that, you know, project management phrase on your resume um, but she was like, oh, I didn't think I could do that because I don't have the certification. Um, you know, you have that kind of fear. I'm like, this was a massive project um, and you did it and you did it successfully. So let's tell people that you did. Um, you know, there's that fear. And then on the other hand, half, you have people that think they are, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and they aren't. And the problem is, is that interviewers often get swayed by super confident people rather than really digging in and finding out, um, you know, can you do this work? Do you think, or have you experienced in your career where um, the, the, that, that knack for selling yourself short, is, do you see that more with women? It's definitely more with women. Um, it's definitely more with women. I mean, the statistics all play that out. You know, men will apply for jobs if they have 60% of the qualifications Mm -hmm. and women are like, I need a hundred. And then of course, interviewers tend to be harder on women as well. So it's like a double edged sword um, coming at it that we eliminate ourselves from some jobs and then people tend to have higher standards for for women they're scared that we're gonna i don't know have a baby in the break room and ruin their ruin, their <laughs> ruin everything well it's ruin interesting what you're saying about the um oh i don't i don't have a certification because i've asked um and that not no you know i know that you don't need a certification for certain things but the guys often say well i've been too busy doing the work yeah to get it um does it cross their minds which, it doesn't cross yeah. their mind. And it it wouldn't cross a lot of people's mind. This particular woman, she was just like so concerned about, about saying, I have this skill mm-hmm. because she didn't have the piece of paper. And I'm like, listen. Yeah. <laughs> so you have been, your eyes closed. You've been on one side or the other of the hiring table now for many, many years. Um, and you've seen job search evolve. Um, is there something that you see that people are particularly surprised by, or maybe that has caught them off guard as of late? I don't know if I've seen anything that's particularly catching people off guard on the candidate side, but on the uh, on the hiring side, in the past couple of years, they're seeing candidates ghost them. And that didn't used to happen. Um, And 
there was tons of recruiters and hiring managing or ghosting candidates and right. they learned that right. from them. And now tables are, you're seeing the tables turning a little bit. Those tables are turning. And right now the market is so weird because yeah. there's a lot of positions where they're struggling to find candidates. And then there's a lot of positions where there's hundreds of applicants. Like there's not <laughs> anything in between, it seems like. I know. And, yeah, I feel like it's sort of a bipolar uh, kind of job market. And I, I remember that with the recession too. At one point, it felt like real estate and banking, it was horrible, but then some other sectors were doing really well. So yeah. And that's how it is now too. I mean, yeah, if you want... If you want a restaurant job, they're yours mm-hmm. for the picking. And actually, I saw a restaurant job today that was um, paying um, wait staff seven twenty five, which is minimum wage, but not minimum mm-hmm. wage for for wait staff. So they're paying above with a guaranteed um, two hundred dollar a shift in tip credit. So. Um, I was like, wow, you know, that's a thousand bucks a week. That's $50,000 a a year for, they guaranteed them two days off and $200 a shift as a minimum. And I was like, that's. Yeah. I just saw an article. I don't know where I saw it on just on how, um, how restaurants are struggling to hire people back right now. Yeah. It's they're crazy. really struggling. No, it's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you want one, they're yours for the picking, but where are you going to go? You're going to go to this restaurant. I mean, it's in Louisiana. So, but you go. still, <laughs> you're going to go there where you're guaranteed $50,000 a year. Like, dude, wow. as a yeah. waitress. Um, yeah. I'd get fired in two weeks if I took that job. I'd be the worst waitress. Oh, but, um. I, I would, <laughs> I could have done it in my, in my youth, but now being on my feet for eight hours a day, no, yeah, thank no you. Way. But, yeah, it's uh, like, are you in a, are you advising um, through your blog hiring, advising hiring managers on how to handle the ghosting process? Because we've gotten lots of advice for job seekers on how to how to manage it. I mean, I've told people, but they don't listen. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the way to fix the candidates ghosting it really requires a unified effort from all recruiters to stop ghosting candidates because as long yeah. as there's still people doing it, then the job seekers feel justified in doing it. And yeah. I no, don't you're right. blame it's, it's, them. You got to stop the practice altogether. You got to stop it. Um, and in today's day where we have applicant tracking systems, you can set them up to when you fill the position, it sends an auto email out to everybody that applied to say, thanks, but no thanks. And they don't do that. And when I talk to recruiters, they're like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm like, no, you're not. This is an automated function that you can choose to turn on or not. No, you're right. You're right. And you're right. I think that if it started with that, then the rest would follow. Yeah, agreed. So switching gears a little bit, what advice do you have for someone who is at the beginning stages of job search? How do you recommend they get started? Well, my first question for them is, what is most important to you? Is it the job or the company culture? Um, Because you're going to approach it 
two different ways. Like if you're, if your goal is to be, you know, the CEO of, I don't know, some big fortune 100 company, you want to be that CEO, then the most important thing for you is the title and the prestige of the company. But if you want to work 40 hours a week, have good work-life balance, go to your kids' soccer games, which I don't know why anybody wants to go to your kids' soccer games. They're so boring. But, um, you know, you want to do that. The position isn't as important as the company culture is. And so that's the first question that I ask. And either answer is fine. Um, right. You're not a bad person if you're like, I really value having time with my family or time for my hobbies. And you're not a bad person if you're like, I want to be super wealthy and I want to, to climb right. that corporate ladder. Right. Both are fine, but it, it changes how you do your job search. That's a really good point. Um, and to, to set that, that, that clarity, um, do you find people that want both and then you tell them mm, you can't have both? Yeah, and this is something that you know. I I worked in big pharma, and um, I worked in big pharma for a long time. And there were people whose cars were in the parking lot at six a.m. and at eight p.m. And you know they were just working all of the time. They traveled all of the time, and um, and they got their rewards um, sometimes. And then sometimes you get laid off if you do that. That's another yeah. thing that, That's that I try to tell people that your company doesn't love you. No. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you had the top performance rating three years in a row. If it becomes the fiscally responsible thing to do to fire you yeah. or to lay you Plenty off. Of really, really great performers lose their job. Great performers lose their job. And the other time when great performers lose their job, if you hire, if you're like an assistant vice president and they hire a new senior vice president, senior vice presidents have this thing where they like to bring in their own people. Mm -hmm. So they then clean house. It doesn't matter how awesome you are. You're just, you're gone. That's just happens. Um, But you can climb that ladder, but you cannot be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and work a 37 and a half hour work week. You can't. It's not going to happen. And it's not racist or sexist or whatever is. You you can't do it. That's not what it takes to get that job. And it's okay if you don't want that job. No, you're right. And you're right that there's pros and cons of each. Um, Going with a culture, you you might not have the salary you've always dreamt of. There's... There are sacrifices on both sides. Right. And and you can't complain about not having the executive salary if you're not willing to do the work mm-hmm. that those people did to get there. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. just, it's it's so much work. And it's okay. I, I'm not condemning yeah. it in any way, shape, or form. If that's what you want, go for it. Yeah. But if you don't want that, um, you can't want it and not do the work. I mean, you can want it, but you're not going to get it. It just requires. So let's say they, they have that clarity and they say, okay, you know what? I really, I really want to have time for my hobbies and my family. 
how does that job search look different than that person that says, I really want to move up the ladder at a, at a really prestigious company? So if you are concerned about the culture and having time for your family, then I tell you to do what I um, call like behind the scenes networking, which a lot of times when people think about networking, they're like, I've got to get to the hiring manager. I've got to get to the hiring manager. Um, and that's how you get you know the job interview. Sure. But when you start networking with people at your same level, or people that would be at a level below you, that kind of thing, they're going to be really honest with you about the company and the company mm-hmm. culture. So they're going to be like, oh, our yep, website says we're family friendly, but yeah. that means like they close for Christmas, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> that, right, right, right. Um, and you can find out what really goes on behind the scenes. Um, whereas if you go to a job interview and ask the hiring manager, the hiring manager is trying to sell the company to you. That's right. So they're not going to say, yeah, I'm a terrible manager. I micromanage. I expect 70 hours a week. That <laughs> right, right. never comes out of someone's Yeah, mouth. no, I agree with that. Um, I also feel like it's a good idea to have in your network people that maybe left that company, you know, recognizing that there might be some disgruntled people, but if three of five people sort of say the same thing, good or bad about a company, then you know that you there might be something to it. Exactly. And so with that knowledge, if you can find out things about the company, then you decide whether to target that company on your job search mm-hmm. or not. You know, That's there are companies advice. that... I would never, ever want to work for. I like Google. I don't want to work for them. Um, I've heard way too much about them. I don't want to work for them. Right. Um, that, that's not the culture that I want to be in. That's for you. Uh, right, right. Yeah. A lot of people, that's their dream goal. Excellent. Go chase that. Not mine. Uh, you know, if someone said, I want the family-friendly, supportive environment... You know, I talked about about Wegmans, um, you know, seriously, best company ever, but it's a grocery store that is open 24 hours a day in some areas until midnight on others. You're going to be working nights and weekends if if you're in a store, you know, um, they're super supportive. They're great pay. They pay above average. You know, they, they're they super company, but it's nights and weekends um, if you're in the store. And if you're in corporate, um, everybody in corporate works in the store from time to time because they want everybody to understand their primary, right. their primary stuff. Um, so you got to know that going into it. Fantastic yeah. company, but this is the deal. There's going to be nights and weekends. Yeah. I agree. And you know, I, I think it's really important too to to be, you know, clear on what you want, but also clear on your deal breakers. Or if you say, I want this, that, and the other, but I absolutely cannot work nights and weekends, then Wegmans would be off the table for you. Yeah. Because that's that's a deal breaker for you. Exactly. And you just gotta know what those are. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a big hoo-ha um the, earlier this year about a bunch of oh, I don't I can't remember which big accounting firm. I want to say it was Goldman Sachs, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Where the first year analysts were all upset because they were working these 80-hour weeks. And I was laughing at them. I'm like, you knew that mm-hmm. when you took the yeah. job. Well, they there is hired one from the like, schools. That there is one of those investment firms that is 
you know, I guess the people are fleeing, I don't know. And so they are giving some unheard of paid time off and things like that during COVID. Um, but they're, you know, tapping into their softer side, which you don't usually hear about on Wall Street. <laughs> no, you don't. So, so what about, so we talked about how to guide someone who is getting ready to start on a job search. What do you say to that person who is in the middle of a job search and it is really not going well? How do you advise them on, in terms of sort of regrouping and figuring out what's wrong? So the question that I have for someone who's doing a job search that isn't going well is, are you getting interviews and then not getting the job or are you not getting interviews? Uh, Because again, there's two different ways to approach that. If you're not getting interviews, then let's fix your resume and your cover letter and the companies you're targeting. If you're getting the interviews, but not the job, then let's work on your um on your interviewing skills um because those are two very different problems yeah i agree so you're saying it's you've got to really triage the process and and i get people like that all the time that say well in an interview they're not getting this so it must be my resume i'm like "Mm, i don't think it's your resume because your resume got you the interview it's there's something you're not articulating at that point Exactly. If you're getting the interview, then your resume is fine. Now, if you're getting interviews for jobs that you don't aren't a good fit for, then maybe we need to to right. revamp your resume to make it towards jobs that you're actually going to be a fit for. Because well, it may be part of the companies you're targeting too, right? Yeah, exactly. There's all of those all of those different different things that really there's not a blanket answer for everybody and that's why you know the coaching is helpful because you can dive into and say okay this is what this is what our deal is here yeah but what i love is that you to me you've sort of pointed out that job search is a real it's a it's a progressive journey and so there's your resume and then there's how you do in interviews and then there's you know negotiations there's different stages so you've got to see where the break is in the process Right, exactly. To figure out what's going on, what's wrong. Yeah. Um, so, what do you say to the person? And I get this all the time. I'm sure you do too. People that are looking to make a change and they have just a super diverse skill set, and they say, "Well, you know, I could do this role or I could do that role, and I really am open to anything." Um, what are your thoughts on that? Pros, cons, and it's, it's fine to be open to anything, but you're not going to find anything when you act like you're open to anything. Um, Companies want to hire people that want this job and not a job. And so if you walk into an interview or you say in your cover letter, you know, I'm looking to make a change, I'll do anything. You're going straight in the trash because they don't want someone that wants to do anything. They want someone that wants to be passionate about it. And I think that's a little bit dumb. Like there's no reason why we all need to be passionate about everything we do every day. Um, You know, I'm just very grateful for the men that come clear out the garbage every week. Um, I don't think they're passionate about garbage, but they do a good job. You know, we don't need to be passionate, but hiring managers want to see this. So you really need to pick at least for every application and be able to talk like that's what you really want to do. Like, 
I have researched this. I really, really, really want to move from marketing into finance. Look, I took these extra classes. Um, you know, I did this, I did that. I was on this project and finance is where I want to be. And then you can go to your next one and be like, I really want to move from marketing into HR. <laughs> I did this, I did this, I did this project. And that's fine for you. But when you're in that interview and when you're writing that cover letter, you better sell yourself to that. You can go home and think, I don't really know which one I want to do. But when you're applying for the job or when you're in the interview, you need, um, you really need to do, to do that. No, I mean, that makes it people, people want to feel wanted. Exactly. Um, I think that I, I, I went to high school with, it was almost, it was an all boys school that had just turned co-ed. And I remember this guy had to ask me to a dance and he was pretty much, he basically told me he asked me because I was a girl. <laughs> and they needed, <laughs> they needed to start bringing girls to the dances. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I, I turned him down, but, uh, it's that same thing you want to feel like at least you're a little bit special, right? Exactly. It's exactly what they want. They, the hiring manager wants to feel special and the candidate wants to feel special. Now, the problem with that is that it ends up with both sides lying to each other. But yeah. there you go. Uh, so one, I want to ask you my, one of my favorite questions. I'm going to expand it given that you have experience on both sides of the firing table. What's something that drives you most nuts when it comes to this whole process? What um, people do wrong, what's, what's wrong with the process, all that. One of the things that drives me super crazy is when recruiters and hiring managers get super judgy about people that have been fired or laid off. Um, I have, in addition to be on the hiring table, I have been on the firing side of things. And I have laid off over 3,000 people in my career. Um, And... The vast majority of those people were in the wrong position at the wrong time. But a lot of hiring managers or recruiters assume if you're unemployed, if you've been laid off, it was because you were bad. Therefore, I reject you. And that is just false. It is so false. Um, There are so many good people out there that have lost their jobs. And some of them have even been outright fired, um, not necessarily, you know, laid off. Just because someone gets fired, it doesn't mean that they're a terrible employee. It could mean they had a terrible manager. Um, You know, we all love to share stories about our horrible managers, but somehow when we're hiring, we assume that it's the candidate's fault if they left a position without another job lined up or, or if they got terminated. We, we don't consider that maybe, maybe, maybe they had a terrible manager. There's, do you think that there's been any crazies like COVID and like the recession? Like, do you think that those change that mindset in any way? Somewhat in that suddenly so many people got laid off and, um, and everybody knew that there was massive amounts of people that got yeah. laid off. 
but I still see it um, within both my clients and then within the recruiting groups that I'm in. You know, they're like, oh, this is a good candidate, but... Um, and, you know, you get more of that when you're having 300 applicants for a position, then of course you can pick the cream of the crop. Right, but yeah. um, the people that are employed aren't necessarily the cream of the crop. It's just that somebody else wants them and that makes them more desirable. Yeah, no, it's like those, you know, a house on the market that if it's been on longer, you always start wondering what's wrong with the house, but there might be. You never know. You never know what's going on. Exactly. I hope that changes. Though it drives me. It's funny. I, you know, I know that on LinkedIn you actually show up lower on searches if you, or you show up below people that are currently hired if you have an end date on your in your title um, or in your experience section. Which it just it feels so fundamentally wrong for a platform that in part is designed to help people. You know, they, they've done a lot of things to try to help job seekers um, and unemployed job seekers. And it just seems sort of counterintuitive. Yeah, it does. Is there anything that you can recommend that a job seeker do to try to sort of tackle that bias head on? Um, the one thing is to address it in your cover letter and not try to hide it. Um, one of the things that... Call it out. I don't like is when people um, try to hide things on their resumes. Like they will put years instead of months and years. Um, so it'll be like, I was in this job from 2019 to 2020. And I'm always like, so was it December 2019 to January 2020? Or was it January 2019 through December 2020? Because that's very, very different, right? Um, and I'm always, people are going to assume the worst when you try to hide things. And, you know, if you got laid off for COVID reasons, say that in your cover letter, um, be, be honest and upfront, yes, it will take you out of the running in some things, but you're more likely to find a match that is good for you if you are honest. Yeah, I agree. And I've always felt like people, if there's a potential red flag and you don't address it, people are going to, people will come to their own conclusions. They'll fill in the blanks and they'll fill them, often fill them in wrong. So why not try and control the narrative? And, and I think you're right. The cover letter is not always read, but when it does get read, it can make a difference. So why not use that real estate for that? Yeah. And it's, it's a bummer that it's not always read. Um, but I understand why it's not. Um, right. No, I agree. And it's a lot people, you know, when you've got 300 applications, the thought of reading 300 cover letters is, is daunting. Um, yeah, and most people hate writing them as much as recruiters hate reading, reading them. them. <laughs> That's true. Uh, what about another sort of sticky topic, which is discrimination when it comes to hiring practices? You know, there's all sorts of isms. There's ageism, sexism, racism. Um, what do you see here? What do you see in Europe where you're located? Um, and how do you advise people to, again, navigate that? I mean, in my experience, and of course, personal experience, you know, the, the plural of 
anecdote is not data, but um, what I see the most in discrimination is age discrimination, which I think is the dumbest form of discrimination because we're all going to get old. Like, it's going to hit every year, right? No one escapes it. <laughs> no one escapes it. But for some reason, people think that it's okay. Like, oh, well, nobody over 35 has any new ideas. Um yeah, whatever. Uh, most successful startups are done by people over the age of 40. So forget that. Uh, but that people true? have this this idea. And so some of the things that I tell people to do is take the dates off of their degrees. And that's becoming more standard. Um, and then, of course, you don't put your jobs going back to 1989. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I basically give people a 20-year cutoff, which still puts them in their 40s. But also what what you did in 1989 doesn't really have an impact on what you can do today. It just doesn't. Yeah, super rarely. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's super, super weird um, to, to have that be an important thing. So you don't want to have that on there anyway because of, of age discrimination, which is something that I see a lot of. You said that on the hiring side, even hiring. when you were recruiting. Yeah. Okay. All right. No good advice. I mean, it's just managers. There's a couple of reasons for it that aren't so just, I mean, it's people feel uncomfortable also managing people that are older than they are. Um, and some people feel uncomfortable having a boss that's older than they are. Um, but we need really? to all get over ourselves. Yeah. I, yeah, I've never understood that. I'd much rather, I want people older and younger than me. Although as I get older, it's getting harder to find older people, but um, you, just, you learn something from each of them. I don't, I've, I've never understood, you know, all the isms are stupid, but. Um, they are all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's say you are at a dinner party. If we are, finally officially allowed out of our houses. Um, what are, if someone says, okay, I'm going to start job searching, what are one or two things that I really need to have in my back pocket to get started? What would you say? The first thing you need to have in your back pocket, I think, is, um, is you need to figure out your goal. Um, if you just start creating resumes just purely based on your work history Mm -hmm. and sending them out, it's not going to go well. You need to really define, um, what it is that you are, are looking for. And that goes back to what you said earlier about, do you want culture? Do you want prestige? You know, all those things. Exactly. And if once you've got that, then it really helps to narrow you. Like you said, when people are like, I'll do anything, that sounds really good, but it's so hard to find Mm -hmm. something good. I mean, just think about it. Like when you go to a restaurant that has, you know, 40 pages of menu, the food there is always crappy. Um, the I just get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, the food's never very good because the chef doesn't get to pick their specialty and really perfect it. Um, you know, and it's the same thing when you're like, here's my 40 pages of things that I want to do. Well, you're not going to be crafting right, yourself right. and marketing yourself. What um, 
what what can you do to make it right? No, you're not a buffet where someone gets to pick. I want this skill from you and this skill from you. They're not going to take the time to look at everything. Exactly. Yeah. No. Okay. So figure out your goal is goal number one. Exactly. And rule number two is to make sure that your resume details your accomplishments and not your tasks. So, so do you, I mean, I mean, I'm old. I've been writing resumes since I got first out, got out of college back in 1990. And I remember those very first ones. I did focus more on tasks. Was that, I probably just didn't know what I was doing, but do you feel like back when that was more acceptable or it's, it's always been wrong? I mean, it's always been wrong. I mean, it's, it clearly works fine for a lot of people because, um, you know, that's the, the first thing when someone sends me their resume um, is I will go through and I will reword things for accomplishments. And of course, I don't necessarily know what their accomplishments are. So I'll, I'll flip it and then I'll, you know, then leave them the question of, you know, what was the result? Um, right. You know, so you can say that, you know, responsible for employee engagement. Okay, but that sounds fabulous, but... Did you improve employee engagement? Right, Did right, you make it right. worse? So what's How the deal? How can you show that you actually succeeded in this duty or exactly. responsibility? Yeah. No. Agree. Um, okay. So to close this out, so you have your blog, you have your business where you are supporting people with job search, writing their resumes. Um, as we head into the second part of 2021, what is next for you? I mean, right now, um, I'm really growing my resume and coaching business. Matter of fact, my I launched it, my coaching business officially last week. I've always done it on the side without publishing it. And I got really backed up. So um, <laughs> I have a waiting list now. And yeah. I am working on two books, one for HR people and one for job seekers. So um, I'm excited about both. Wow. Do you have working titles yet or not yet? Um, I don't have a working title for the HR one, but the the um, working title for the job seekers is how to find a job when you're just average. Um, because most of us are average and nobody likes yep. to admit it, but we are. There you go. You're average. I'm I love average. that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with average. Um So if someone wants to learn more about you or wants your help, um, I've got your evilhrlady.org website. I've also got your LinkedIn URL. Are those the two best places to learn more about you, find out when your book's getting ready to launch and get in touch with you? All of those are good. There's a third place. Um, I have a Facebook group that's called okay. Evil HR Lady. And it's open to HR people and then anybody interested in HR business type things. Um, the thing that we ask is that if you would like to join, we have a question to enter. You have to give us a good answer um, to that question. And if you don't answer it, we will not let you in. Even if you're like, you know, the the queen of HR, you're not coming in if you don't answer our question. Um, And that's a really great group for both 
HR people and for people that have or want jobs because you can ask a question and you'll get answers back from really um, experienced people. It's a great group. Oh, so gosh. that's great. Those are three areas. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for taking the time. It's a Friday evening um, for you. So I, I, again, so appreciative of your insights and your, and your uh, expertise. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.